each episode tends to open with me being like, hello, in like a really crazy way. I don't know. It's just an impulse I have in me that is meant to welcome you. That intro is from our guest this week, Michelle Corey. She's the host of the Cultured Podcast and owner of Frequency Media, a first-of-its-kind podcast production and marketing company in Atlanta. Michelle and I sit down this week to talk about activism, the arts, Atlanta, and of course, what it takes to make a podcast. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. We are here on a Monday morning in East Atlanta Village on the one of the occasions when About South is brought to you from East Atlanta and not the historic West End of Atlanta with Michelle Corey, who is the host of her own podcast, The Cultured Podcast. It's a little bit of a crossover episode to quote Mr. Peanut Butter. From... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is a special November 9th crossover episode where we're so happy to have another podcaster on the show because I've just explained to you all the details of a podcast but you already know. I know it feels so good to be on the receiving end. That is amazing (laughs) and I like that you nodded enthusiastically like yeah uh uh-huh I know these things. Um, I was just you know providing support for you saying those things. I really appreciate it. I wasn't gonna shut you down. (laughs) (laughs) I would like if you just start asking me questions. And then it'll be completely flipped. What is a microphone? (laughs) Well, but we're happy to have you. And um, there are just so many things that we could talk to you about. One of the things that we've tried to do over the last three seasons in the podcast is also really get away from this kind of essentialized, exclusive South. And so I know that you also having grown up in Miami, like, we definitely have always tried to challenge this oh it's just like georgia alabama grits and that's the south not at all and i know your background what you see as just how latinx identity has long fit in to southern identity and space Mm -hmm. and you're also the host of an incredibly successful podcast and you're starting a studio for podcasters yeah we're gonna try to cover all of that (laughs) in the next half hour. So just to begin, tell us a little bit about how you found yourself in Atlanta, what your background is, Mm -hmm. and then we'll start talking about your new project, Frequency. Yeah, awesome. So I grew up in Miami, like you said, which is a pretty crazy place. Uh, I think it's a very polarizing city, so you either grow up there and stay forever, or you know do the Atlanta thing where you move away and you're like, F Miami, and then you eventually move back and you're like, I'm very Miami. 
uh, or it drives you away and you get out as soon as you can. So growing up, most of my friends in high school are either or in those buckets. Most of us are the people who fled. <laughs> and it's because the dynamics there are, are strange and you know we like to say it's a sunny place for shady people and that kind of thing. But it is also where I grew up surrounded by my own culture and sort of taking it for granted. Then I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando and lived in West Palm Beach for a while after that. And I, at that point, was like, I need to GTFO. <laughs> I need to leave Florida. It's a very strange place for me. I never truly felt like I fit in or was at home in Florida other than Miami. And so I was married at the time. We had just gotten married. And two weeks after our honeymoon, I was a PR consultant. He. Uh, was a mechanical engineer and his company just completely shut down from one day to the next. And I was like, this is a sign, let's get out. And so we had done some research. We put our house on the market, it sold within five days. So we had 30 days to move. So we were kind of like, okay, we're between Austin, Baltimore and Atlanta. And it was like Goldilocks. It was like, Austin's too hot, Baltimore's too cold. We're moving to Atlanta. You know, and I had I had a really tight friend here who assured me that I would like it. So I trusted her and we moved very blindly. And we moved and it was just kind of this immediate connection between me and this city. I just felt totally at home. I felt like I could finally be my full creative self um, you know, I started getting tattoos here. I started really just like embracing who I was in a very holistic way. And that is what brought me here. And then what made me fall deeply, madly, totally in love with this city. As for my background, and this ties into my love for and somewhat expertise with this city, I am in marketing and communications. My whole career has been in marketing and communications. And it's a, been a very varied career. So internal communications for a massive utility company, public relations for you know big brands for Edelman, the PR agency. Um, I worked for a short stint at a record label in Santa Monica, California, a law firm doing marketing art directing, photo shoots, PR consultancy, and then I was a magazine editor. So in Atlanta, my first job here that plucked me out of my own PR consultancy was for as the PR manager for the Atlanta Convention and Visitors Bureau. And so it was my literal job to know everything about this city so that I could then communicate it to journalists from around the world. So they would come into town and I would be their tour guide basically. And so I had to know the CEOs of the new developments, like uh, Doug Shipman, who was at the time the CEO of the Center for Civil and Human Rights. And it was just studs. It was like literally being built. And we would do hard hat tours through there or hard hat tours through the College Football Hall of Fame. And I had to be able to connect the dots with them about the past, present, and future of Atlanta. So I devoured a lot of history about this city. So I know way more about this city than I do Miami. <laughs> So, um, and then I, then I moved from that position to being the editor of Wear Atlanta and Wear Nashville, which are travel publications and all the hotels. And so it became further my job to not just know about the city, but write about it in every way. And what did you see as the way that um, sort of 
even though you said you ended up knowing way more in Atlanta about Atlanta than you knew about Miami, what did you see as kind of the difference and maybe how the two cities imagine themselves? That's a great question. And I think Miami has a very clear vision of itself. It has a very clear idea of what it is or who it is. And it has that very clear cut and defined personality. And I think Atlanta is so many things to so many people. And it's one of the most fascinating things about this city is how disparate its vision of itself is, depending on who you ask or where you are. And it really is born from this segregated society that's it's been segregated for so long in so many ways um so it's not just black and white segregation which is a a jarring part of this city but it's also like the segregation of different cultures of different pockets within those groups of different ethnicities beyond that and i think every even different niche social groups have a very different idea of what atlanta is and so we have this I would call it a challenge, a huge challenge of figuring out who we are. You know, we're like that teenager that's growing into an adult that has to pick its major at college and they're like, I don't know. God, the city's been delaying on that for like a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> like pick a major, Atlanta. I think it's because we keep burning down. <laughs> yeah. With your new work now starting your new venture is called frequency where does that fit in to where you started wanting to see atlanta have a self-identity particularly for creatives i think the bottom line is we are a creative city and our identity really is a creative one even if you do look back to um, the march of the the march on atlanta sherman's march where he burned down the whole city our ability, and I say our even though I'm not of here, but you know, the Atlantans' ability to rebuild and to create something completely new and to redefine itself as the New South lingers to this day. The ability for black Atlantans to rebuild after the Great Fire of 1917, which mostly affected black Atlantans and wealthy black Atlantans, to rebuild and continue owning that space and, and remaining but turning it into something new I think that ethos is the the bare personality of Atlanta. That's the foundation of Atlanta. So we're seeing this really interesting, we're at this very interesting crux now in Atlanta where tech and our creative industries are booming at the same time. And that's very rare. That's very rare to see. So Frequency is here to embody that. We're embodying both a tech boom and a creative boom. And while we don't um, dabble in tech development, we are a tech-driven company. And, but first and foremost, we're a creative and content-driven company. What is Frequency? And you've sort of articulated why it was necessary, but where do you hope it goes? So what is it and where do you want to see it going? I love this question because <laughs> I'm so, I have a very clear vision for it a short-term and long-term. So Frequency Media is a full-service podcast production studio and community hub. So what we do is we develop podcasts, we produce them, we market them, 
And so we have an agency side that does that for brands, thought leaders, small business owners, because a podcast is an incredibly powerful marketing channel. So we are producers for hire and we can come in at the beginning of the process and actually from a strategic standpoint, develop your show. There's 650,000 plus podcasts out there. So I promise you've had an idea. You have an idea that somebody else has had. So the, the point of bringing us in is to see who's had that idea. What does it look like and sound like? Where's the gap to make your idea creative and stand out? So that's the um, pilot and show development phase of work. And then of course we do full service production and sound design, music composition, the whole dine. But then also what we offer is for people who are dipping their toes in the water, we're gonna be building a physical studio space, uh, hopefully in downtown Atlanta, where we have studios, we have co-working space, so you can pay $75 a month up to $300 a month, depending on how robust you want your membership to look. And that, give, that affords you some studio time or discounts on studio time. That gives you access to workshops and courses, which we're gonna be offering. Um, and that just gives you the tools that you need to start becoming a professional podcaster. Our goal is to open ourselves as frequency media to you as a podcaster along every single stage of your life cycle as a podcaster. And we're, we're here to grow the ecosystem. We're here to make Atlanta the next podcasting community hub. Um, this, there's no reason this city shouldn't be a, a podcasting hub. We have a sonic legacy that is incredibly deep rooted. We have the talent here, even though there, it takes some education to train them to be specifically podcast, to be specifically focused on podcasting. Um, so, and, and we have like how stuff works and we have people from mid-roll in town. I mean, we've got representatives from the biggest companies in the industry. So Frequency is here to synthesize that and to create a community where we all grow together from the inside out. And then the other side of Frequency is we are going to have a network and produce original content for ourselves where we really get to play with the format and produce some really cool audio experiences. That's really exciting. I mean, that's one thing that when, um, so I started this podcast one day when I was angry <laughs> because I had seen a publication shall remain nameless who peddles in kitschy southernness but pretends to be progressive. And I am, I agree with the author Wiley Cash who's like, my political rights don't need to be clouded in kitsch for you to take them seriously. Mm -hmm. So like my reproductive rights have nothing to do with my love of tomato sandwiches. Wow, and I yes. don't need to throw in a y'all for you to like agree that I'm a person from the South who maybe has political opinions, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I just hate the Southern culture industry so much. Like it's all pretending to be better and it's all just crap. Like it's feeding into the stereotypes. It's just feeding into it. And so, and this may be the first time on the show I've actually told this story. So you are interviewing me now. <laughs> yeah. But I, um, so I was like, okay, this is how I approach my life. I'm like, if I think that I'm so smart, I should try to do something better. And I was like, well, I can't start a magazine because I don't know how to do that. I was like, I guess I could start a podcast. And then I realized I didn't really know how to do that either. But I was like, I'll figure it out. Yes. And I convinced Kelly 
to join me for the first season. And I mean, I will say, so I just sort of picked up in the ether that I understood the bare bones of how sound editing works and mm -hmm. I'd worked in video editing. So I was like, oh, if I can edit video, I can probably edit sound. Mm -hmm. But it would have been so helpful, and this is not an advertisement for Frequency, this isn't our like sneak advertisement episode, but it would have been so helpful to call someone and say, okay, here's what I can do for myself, but here are all the dots that I, I don't know. Absolutely, and right? I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people come to me, especially as I'm talking to investors, what they challenge me on is, can't people do this themselves? Absolutely you can. And I want to empower you to do it yourself, but I also want to warn you, there's a an overwhelming amount of information out there. It's going to take dozens of hours of research. You can teach yourself, but you have to have the commitment, the willingness, the perseverance, the drive, and some foundational technical knowledge. So what we do on multiple levels is either we take it off your hands entirely, and that's usually a bigger brand that's like, here, let's throw some money at it so you can take care of it. We're like, awesome, we produce a beautiful podcast for you. Or you're someone who wants to start your own podcast, let's say as a hobby or just to dip your toe in it, you can come to Frequency and learn. And so what we're gonna be doing in the next few months is actually releasing online courses right off the bat, we don't need that physical space. You get to start getting the information curated and distilled from you, for you, and taught by local Atlanta podcasters. I meet so many people who are doing this, but it's like everyone is stumbling a bit through the fog. Yes, yes. that's a perfect way to put it. Um, I get a lot of, especially now that Frequency was announced through a hypopotamus feature, and then it was picked up by Pod News, which is one of the leading mm -hmm. industry news sources. I'm getting a lot of emails and I'm having a lot of phone calls with people who are not quite ready to invest a whole lot of money in it, but who really need to be handheld a little bit more, who have plateaued or who are approaching that podcast burnout phase, which is so abundant. I think the statistic is most people burn out on podcasts by episode seven. So like, high five. We are on <laughs> episode God, I don't know. I mean, this is our third season. So, right. yeah, I mean, we are burned out. I'm not going to lie. But, like, we've slowly started to manage it. Exactly. But it took, it takes actual hours of non-sleeping. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had to pare down the Cultured Podcast and really pare down what I was dedicating to it in terms of time and financial resources because now I'm building I'm scaling my agency which is creative powerhouse and I'm building frequency and so it really was about what is the the minimum viable product that I need to put out that already aligns with, with with what listeners expect from me so I get that struggle I understand on a very personal level what it means to be a bootstrapping podcaster and what it means to put your money and time into marketing a podcast. I happen to be one of the rare, and my team, we're like the rare marketing and audience development specialists for podcasting. And all that means is that we understand that no rules apply <laughs> and yeah. we're comfortable with it. And we've experimented. What is the Cultured Podcast and how did you build that? And why did you want to focus on just the arts and culture mm -hmm. for that. What was your sort of seed into this podcast needs to exist? So um, when I was at Where Atlanta and I was writing and I've been a writer my whole life. So 
just a little bit of background. I was a writer since since I could write, and I had this like little book of poetry from when I was like nine years old. It was just really excellent poetry. You know, my dad is rad, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> just really eloquent. And then I moved into, I got into theater at a really young age, and I was reading Shakespeare and, and a bunch of old English literature for some reason for theater and devouring plays um, all for theater. So it was, I was an avid reader, an avid writer, storyteller in terms of creative writing and short stories and loved theater. So I was, music has been a part of my life since I was little, I was a singer as well. So I would go and I read music and I would take piano lessons to support my singing. Um, and so arts and culture has been a part of my life forever. We would, you know, travel as kids with my mom and we would, she would always make a point of stopping at cultural institutions. So it's just how our brains work, me and my sister. And then I started writing for business, right? Writing for PR, writing for marketing. And I got really bored. I was just like, my creative muscle isn't flexing enough in terms of writing. So I got at I went into magazine editing and I was hired for Wear Atlanta and that's where I really got to tell these juicy stories but then I had to struggle against word count so that's when I started really brainstorming with a friend of mine who was also a freelance who was a freelance writer and you know we we're like how do we tell stories more deeply how do we dive into this and you know we both had video backgrounds backgrounds hosting videos and things I had done a, uh, some radio commentary at that point, and you know we both kind of landed on podcasts. Hey, this is low cost investment versus video. I don't have to wear makeup. <laughs> Huge, um, you know. So there was so much that made sense, and for me it was obvious. the The topic was obvious. It's going to be arts and culture. Those are the stories I want to tell. That's the community in Atlanta that I'm in most of the time. I'm in a lot of little niche communities here, but that's the one that I spend most of my time in. And to me, there's nothing more human than art. There's nothing, there really isn't anything more human than self-expression through such a plethora of mediums. I mean, it's the number of ways you can express yourself as a human being is near limitless. And so what better than to explore how people express themselves and in doing so, explore diversity in thought, in culture, in perspective, explore the humanity of those who produce this work, explore the challenges, the inspiration. And we're in a time especially where the arts over the past couple of years have really come under fire as not being necessary or being superfluous in our society when at, I mean, it's the backbone of every society is the arts. Why do we find cave paintings from 60,000 years ago? Why would we have taken time when we were trying to survive things, <laughs> so many more things, to paint on a wall, to communicate with one another through that form of expression? And so that's the ethos of the Cultured Podcast. The best part, in my opinion, is it's a global show, but I'm very sneaky, I've always been sneaky, so about 80% of my guests are from Atlanta. And that's how I put Atlanta on a global stage. That's my little ode.
I know you've talked about Atlanta. It's okay. On the one hand, we have a real paradox, right? So much arts and culture and creative energy in this city. And we're in a city that does not recognize how much artistic potential. I think our arts programming and culture budget in the last city budget was something that was embarrassingly a fraction of every other major city in the country. Yep. And so how does that paradox exist? Like what should Atlanta be doing with its arts community? And um, you know, how do we all still manage to do creative like stuff without really very much support? It is one of the most fascinating things to me. I wrote a very long article about this um, and I can provide a link if you'd like to include it, but basically it's about Atlanta's contemporary art scene and how it thrives with very little support. And I started on this journey of writing this piece and I ended up doing about 30 hours of interviews just, and this was a written format, 30 hours of interviews where I was just talking to gallerists and curators and artists and arts leaders, museum heads, and everyone was just like, I don't know, people take their money to New York or LA. Um, we experience art drain where basically artists are like, well, since your money's going to New York or LA, so am I. And yet we still have this pool of talent here that's incredible. I'm talking about world-class contemporary art talent. I mean, world-class art talent in all genres, but contemporary especially. And I think it's that ethos that I mentioned earlier that is A, people love this city and are loyal to it. B, people are determined to succeed here despite the local government. And I mean that in so many different areas. The local government absolutely caters to outsiders and it's a very Southern mentality. Like, ooh, shiny, look how shiny we are. Come, come, look how shiny we are. And then- It's the myth of hospitality. It's the myth of hospitality. And the thing is, we are kind and we are loving, but we're hurt. We're all hurt because we live here and we work so hard and we give so much to the city and we don't get it back. But what happens then is that we create this thriving ecosystem where we all help each other out and we could we could do a little bit better on collaboration in this city but we're getting there we're, we're getting there pretty quickly but you know splitting my time writing between Nashville and Atlanta it was I could see the differences Nashville is collaborative to the nth degree and collaborative in a very pure way Atlanta has more competition, more of a competitive mentality, which I think is fostered by the fact that we don't get a lot of support. <laughs> so we think that there's limited resources, so I need to grab at them in their mind. So we're getting better at that, but what that's because we are working so hard to create our own systems of support, to create our own pools of resources. And the city is really missing out on opportunities. I like to, speak in terms of revenue and because we live in a hyper-capitalist society so when we're talking to things like local governments well okay dollars and cents they already know there are studies that prove that investing in the arts has an roi they already know that investing in your local residents has an roi that investing in your infrastructure makes your city last longer <laughs> you know right etc 
So it's it's a it's a paradox that we live in every day. I think it is a testament to us as citizens and residents that we are determined to make it work and that we love our, a lot about our city and that's why we're sticking around and there's people coming into the city like you or I or a ton of people from New York who well, that's a separate conversation. A ton of outsiders who come in and they're like this is a great city. What can we do to help make this better? So you were making the culture podcast and then how did that experience of kind of DIYing this initial product and podcast, how did that move you into creating frequency and allow you to see the need for it? Yeah, that, so the cultured podcast led me to the next phase, which led me to frequency. So in doing the cultured podcast by myself, I was also doing some commentary for GPB, which is the um, Georgia's NPR affiliate or Atlanta's NPR affiliate. And by that, I was meeting a bunch of different producers and things. So I was connected through that to a very, very nascent podcast production company and network, which well shall remain unnamed. And I became like their marketing arm. So people, you know, clients would come to them to hire. It was just a couple clients would come to them to hire them for podcast production. And they would offer up my services as marketing and audience development. By then, because of my experimentation with Cultured and having done all that by myself, I had developed a, a portfolio of clients that I was working with and I was building their podcast websites and I knew the best practices for websites and I was designing their brands and their artwork and I was helping them with uh, audience development. So in working with them, um, I saw the model for what not to do. And I kept thinking to myself, I can do this better. Like I can do this better. I know the talent. I have a background, like an entrepreneurial background and that business mindset. I can do this better. But as women are wont to do, we delay and we delay and we delay and we don't take action because, you know, the, the statistics show that we will only take action if we think we can do something perfectly. Whereas men will take action if they're like, I can do this like 60% of the way, you know? And it really holds us back from taking opportunities. And obviously it's a part of a patriarchal system. So, you know, but it is a part of our mindset. And that's what happened to me. I just kept delaying. And finally the last straw, the, the real catalyst was when one of my clients who was one of their clients uh, on launch day, it just, they flubbed everything. They didn't know how to technically launch a podcast. They didn't even research it. She had people over to her home to celebrate and the podcast episode never showed up. And I got so upset because, and for better or worse, my clients and my customers, I'm very tight with, very tight with. Most of my clients are now my close personal friends. And so I take it very, very personally when you are investing your hard earned money, especially as a small business owner, and someone doesn't even take the care of Googling how to do this, and they didn't even come to me and ask me for advice. So it, I remember being on the phone with her and her keeping so cool, even though you could just sense the sheer disappointment. And she was very, very disappointed. And I told her, 
damn it, I've been wanting to do this forever. And I told her my idea, my vision for frequency. And I was like, I keep holding back on it. How am I going to do this? And she's like, Michelle, do it. Do it now. Stop delaying anything you need. I'm going to support you. And so that was the big like switch in my brain where all of a sudden the next day, actually that day I sent a bunch of emails, canceled other projects that I was going to be focusing on, completely canceled meetings, canceled priorities, put frequency to the top of my priority list, went on a local Facebook group called Dream Warriors Foundation, put a call out for a business consultant uh, who ended up being Nikishka Iyengar, who is phenomenally talented and pulled in uh, my executive producer on Cultured, who is now the director of audio of Headspace in Los Angeles as my lead technical advisor. And together we created Frequency. And the vision became a business plan with a first of its kind business model. That was the catalyst for Frequency. That's amazing. I love that. I'm glad you didn't wait any longer. Thank you. And that's why I'm like, I'm basically the preacher for women to take action. My big quote is like, success doesn't look like perfection. It looks like action. We just need to move forward, you know, and, and abandon this BS imposter syndrome because we all have it in us to do what we know we can do. Absolutely. I would like to say that uh, About South is run entirely by women. Yes. That is not an accident that is a deliberate like who these are the best minds i know Mm -hmm. and um all of those minds happen to be women's minds yeah i appreciate a woman's mind also we need more women in podcasting uh not just talking about what it's like to be a woman but like what you are doing you know so for me a big goal with frequency and i don't I don't actually usually tout this or talk on this because I think talk is cheap and there's a lot of talk about this that feels very cheap now, but I am a first generation American. I'm Colombian and Argentinian. I'm a Latina with a Syrian last name because my grandfather was Syrian. There's a lot going on in this climate that is deeply personal to me. And the way that I'm combating it is by building a kick-ass company, making a crap ton of money and giving it to the groups that I'm ready to support, giving it to the voices that need a platform. Absolutely. That's my activism, (laughs) y'all. Thank you for joining us this week. We'd like to send Michelle a huge thanks for sitting down for this incredibly fun conversation. To learn more about Frequency Media and Michelle's work, including the fantastic Cultured Podcast, please visit our website, aboutsouthpodcast.com. We'd also like to thank Saints Rest Coffee in Grinnell, Iowa, where I edited this week's episode. About South is normally brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. This week's episode was produced by Ajua Danso. Kelly Vines joins us as a co-producer and Lindsay Baker helps with our marketing. Our music is by Brian Horton. You can find him at brianhorton.com. You can find us on our website or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We'd also like to ask you to visit our Patreon and help us continue into our fourth season. And one thing you didn't hear 
is that Michelle and I had an entire conversation about the many fires of Atlanta, Georgia. That's going to be a special bonus episode in our off season that is only available to supporters. So learn how to make sure that you don't miss out on any of those off season extras on our website or our Patreon. Next week is our last episode of the third season. We talk to Allison Yost about the mystery of who exactly is buried in Trolita's grave. Trust us, we're going out with a bang. Until then, activism, y'all. <laughs>